Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. Oh, it just might be time to get your waiters or time for another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio by the film guys and it is a beautiful rainy day any day that i can welcome the nitrate film archivist for the library of congress and possessor of the largest frame brain on the planet our friend and film guy george williman i feel like dancing <laughs> also in the studio live and in person the finest storyboard artist in the business so says i he's been with the coen brothers for every movie since raised in arizona and many 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 movies that we know and love he's friend and film guy J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd. Thank you. I'm dancing on the scene. <laughs> We've come together. Sometimes we don't know instantly what the movie is, but instantly we know with this theme song. This is an iconic American film, uh, 1952's Singing in the Rain. And uh, Oh, I thought we were doing Clockwork Orange. I'm sorry. Right. My nose. i got to change my nose. Wait. <laughs> Okay, we're good. Sorry, yeah. My ribs really hurt. He keeps kicking me. <laughs> he's singing that song. He's going to try and take a nap on the floor. Kicks me. <laughs> One of the last great musicals, is it fair to say? That's it, man. I think it's like when you're watching the fireworks, and at the end of the fireworks, they have the glorious firework that you know goes on and on and on, and they think that you want it to last forever, of course. This is like that last firework. Or unless it's like the fireworks in my hometown where they all go off at once. <laughs> and then, you know, you've waited two hours and it's over in two minutes. But this movie is not like that. This movie goes on and on. It does. And uh, some of the most famous movie songs come from here. And mm -hmm. um, uh, certainly that one, I was singing that from when I was a little kid. My children sing this song. And I don't think they've even seen the movie. Well, you that, can't Batman. let them watch Clockwork Orange. Keep <laughs> you know. Maybe that's it. Gentlemen, let these the kids films... grow up a little bit. <laughs> these films get on the list not because the guys were daydreaming and thought they saw their names written in the clouds. It is because they have been watched, inspected, detected, and have passed a very stringent list and of Bud criteria. And has really put a lot of restraints on us lately to get this stuff right. So we have to... You know, he's our boss. We have to take care of him. And there him. are rules are rules. Well, he looked up in the dictionary found the word vetted. So now it's <laughs> about being vetted. Gentlemen, your very important and stringent rules are... Singing in the Rain is a perfect movie because it creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Singing in the Rain will never be placed in any preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale. Kind of sounds like the Peter Pan. I'm really surprised they haven't tried to remake this movie. Um, well, I don't think that, who dances? Who is well, a they good do, actor you know, that's like a Chicago, dancer? Chicago and you got actors who sing uh, but see when you're dealing with the, this kind of musical you're dealing with actors who are singers, actors and dancers. That's what they do. Donald Connor was a dancer. Uh, Gene Kelly, of course, was a dancer. Debbie Reynolds, man, she cut the rug. You dealt with real stars that not only danced, but they sang, and they did some acting. But now you get actors who think they're singer-actors and dancers, and they have to train them and condition them. It's a, it's a little bit different world now that we live in. Uh, there's not too many people that are exclusively dedicated to doing just Right. I, we music. really don't have anybody out there who is considered a singer or dancer who acts. You know, they're, they're, I mean, 
I mean, even Lightning didn't strike twice for Chicago because the same director went and tried the same thing with the Broadway production 9, doing a film of that, and it just fell flat on his face. Seems to me that there was a time when if you wanted to be an entertainer, uh, no matter what your speciality was, tap dancing was a fundamental skill you needed to be able to Mm -hmm. have. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at Cagney. Yeah. You know, James Cagney, of course, made many more films that where he was, you know, a bad guy or a dramatic actor. But, but you know, one of his best roles and one of his most famous roles is playing George M. Cohan in Yankee Doodle Dandy, where he dances up a storm. <laughs> and then he just like killed people and danced all over their heads. Yeah, and stuff but like he that. looked yeah. good doing it. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, as we uh, consider this film and its perfection, let's quickly uh, have a, an, uh, an overview of, of the action in this film. And it's kind of cool because it's one of those. It's a, a movie about a movie. You know, there's songs right. about songs, books about books and movies about movies this is definitely one of the big ones uh the story of singing in the rain takes place in the late 20s when the the film world is being turned upside down with the coming of sound and the story concerns two actors uh don lockwood and lena lamont a pair played by gene kelly and gene hagan who are the most popular actors in the world they're doing these big lavish epics and they are very loved and at the beginning, we find out that there is an issue because at the big premiere of their latest film, Don will not let Lena talk uh, after the movie. And she gets really upset. And here's a little scene that we've pulled out where she expresses her displeasure about not being allowed to talk. Hot diggity kids, it's a smash. Hey, Mr. Simpson? Don, Lena, you were gorgeous. Yeah, Lena, you look pretty good for a girl. <laughs> Lena, the publicity department, Rod here, thought it would be much better if Don made all the speeches for the team. Why? Lena, you're a beautiful woman. Audiences think you've got a voice to match. The studio's got to keep their stars from looking ridiculous at any cost. No one's got that much money. What's wrong with the way I talk? What's the big idea? Am I dumb or something? No. No, it's just that Don's had so much more experience. Next time, write me out a speech. I could Sure, why don't you go out now and recite the Gettysburg Address? Well, what do you know about it? You you piano player, are you anybody? <laughs> it's just too bad that we can't get that woman to recite the Gettysburg Address. It's very <laughs> now, one of the one of the big things that, that makes Singing in the Rain so great is the, the really tight direction. And the film actually has two directors. You have Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly both being given equal credit on this film as directors. Stanley Donan had directed a lot of musicals, but you'll notice that there is an incredible amount of dancing in this picture, and it's my guess that Gene Kelly supervised every step of it. So his direction was more of the choreography, whereas Donan's direction was more... In the dramatic parts of the movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the comedy parts of the movie. Because you'll notice the one scene, they're talking uh, about elocution, and there's a good bit of dialogue up front there, and then it becomes uh, this crazy mad dance scene. So there's no... I do believe Stanley was Donovan was standing there with his hand in the air, and then Gene Kelly slaps it like a tag team. Okay, I'll take it from here. Yeah, passing the baton, you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we're 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 at the point in the movie that they're actually sorting the wheat from the chaff. Who can go on with the That's soundies? That's right. Um, because yeah, you know, they they sound is being introduced, and at first, as as did happen, you know, a lot of students are like, "Wow, this is gonna last." 
But it does. The Jazz Center comes out, becomes a huge hit. The other studios panic. They realize we got to get on the sound bandwagon. The same thing happens to Lockwood and Lamont. The big problem is that, you know, is that Lena Lamont's voice is terrible. And so they make their talking picture, and it's a disaster. It's just a horrible disaster. And in this last little segment we have here that we're going to play, the uh, the three main characters, uh, Don Lockwood, his friend Cosmo Brown, played by Don O'Connor, and, um, and, oh, what's her name? Uh, Debbie Reynolds, excuse me. That Debbie Reynolds, who we, uh, playing yeah. Kathy Selden, uh, are talking about how disastrous the preview of their new talking picture was. Maybe it was a photo finish. Anyway, I'm through, fellas. Don, you're not through. Well, of course not. Why, with your looks and your figure, you could drive an ice wagon or shine shoes. Block hats. Sell pencil. Dig ditches. Or worse still, go back in the Volvo. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. I can jump over the moon of above. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. <laughs> Too bad I didn't do that in Dueling Cavalier. They might have liked it. Why don't you? What? Make a musical. A musical? Sure. Make a musical. The new Don Lockwood. He yodels. He jumps about to music. Oh. The only trouble is that after they released Dueling Cavalier, nobody had come to see me jump off the Woolworth building into a damp rag. <laughs> Sounds pretty bad. This is where it gets to be a little bit of a fantasy, the <laughs> idea of turning the, the Dueling Cavalier into the Dancing Cavalier. But again, they run the same problem, that, that Lena's voice is going to get in the way. So they get the idea of getting Kathy, who has a really good singing voice, to dub Dean Lena's vocals into place. And Kathy is the Debbie Reynolds character. The Debbie Reynolds yes, character. Yes. And so the story continues, and I'm not going to go any farther okay. into it because, you know, I don't want to give away the ending. But anyways, the, the greatest thing about it is this sort of adventure of coming of the coming into sound and some of the anecdotes of what happened. And much of it, you know, unlike a lot of Hollywood films about Hollywood, much of it is based in reality of what yes. happened to some of the actors. And In fact, and, the way they do stuff on there is sometimes i mean we use green screen a lot nowadays but they still do there's one sequence where it's mos which means mid out sound and what does that mean ger- the germans say mit out sound oh mit out without okay there's this one big tracking shot and they got like four stages which is the way they used to do it and they got three different or four different movies going on in the background and he's talking and you get to see process you know you actually in a simplified form so you kind of understand right like moving canvas backgrounds on rollers and things and and they still do a lot of that stuff today in 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 a little bit more sophisticated ways like green screen as i said but one of the the really interesting things that i spotted in there which i think is is really fascinating because it's still very effective when people do it is you'll see that donald o'connor is the piano player and they're dealing with silent movies so they play. They used to play music while they did scenes, even when they were doing dialogue, because it was, of course, they didn't have they didn't have sound. Right, mood but music, mood music, oh. and that set the tone for the scene. So they would. Okay, so you're saying that it would be looped later, so it didn't matter what was coming. No, it's oh, no, no. When in this, we're talking about silent film. Era. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I see. But nowadays, it still happens when they go out and shoot a scratch track because they're going to loop the sound later. They'll still go out and shoot a certain. They'll have somebody play some music over the and. It it sets the tone for the picture because I can tell you on George Clooney's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, he did that in a chase scene and we it was night and day in dailies when oh. they brought this back of Julia Roberts and him, you know, I can't remember exactly what scene, but he was playing music out there and they had an edge to their step and they Hollywood has done this or movies have done this for years and years and years. If the soundtrack can be rebuilt later, I know to this day people still will set 
the tone to a lot of music. It makes sense. Right, you know? One of the things that really hurt a lot of directors, I think, and you see a little bit of this in the, in the film. There's this great director character. And uh, as he is directing the silent film at the beginning, he is able to talk to his actors while they are, are being filmed and say, okay, you know, now you're going to kneel down by her. You look deeply into her eyes and you kiss her. And, and this is a very, you know, a thing that they can do. Sound comes in and suddenly everything has to be quiet. Quiet the, on the, the set. The camera, the camera, which, you know, had, had grown into this device that could be moved anywhere and put on all sorts of devices and moved and, and panned and everything, suddenly had to be clamped down and locked in a little soundproof box so that they could record the sound without the sound of the camera interrupting it. And in this movie, they explain to you some of the difficulties in a kind of a, a very humorous fashion. But all that stuff, I've seen that stuff happen on sets nowadays where – you know, the boom guy's got to stay out of there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wirelesses are just notorious for, like, putting fuzz around the edges. Fuzz or, or and, picking up a stray police signal. And Harley-Davidson uh, motorcycle riders are the greatest offenders of sound in Hollywood <laughs> right now because you can hear those darn motorcycles so far. They Those guys, Harley-Davidson is responsible for the motorcycles they make, are responsible for busting more takes on location shooting than anything that I can even think I of. I hope now. he's happy. Uh, you can just hear him. And then the guy Guys with motorcycles have nothing to do. They just ride right up here. Hey, they're making a movie. And the sound guy's looking at him like, you got to get that thing out of here. You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and we're talking about the 1952 perfect movie, uh, the musical Singing in the Rain. And the with him, I remember the first. I remember the first time I saw Gene Kelly strolling down the street with the umbrella, with it closed. He's not using the umbrella. He's getting wet. Totally wet. And making... um, That's that's like... They sit there in 1952, which is well over 60 years ago, and they make fun of... The, the, the film industry, twenty and thirty years. Like, biting we're the hand so grown them. up yeah. now. Look at this old-fashioned way they used to do things, <laughs> and they like they never dreamed we'd be watching this movie in 2011, saying, "Yeah, that's kind of hokey, isn't it?" <laughs> but I, it's interesting how you know Hollywood just takes no prisoners when it comes to like who's on top in this movie. As we were talking before, before we redid this program. Um, <laughs> We were talking about how this is the last opulent Hollywood musical to come down the pike. After that, everything became became more reality-based musicals. This one is well, very fantasy-based, and it has these bright primary colors, and it's technicolor, man. It looks and so it, it is interesting that within a couple of years, Stanley Donen himself went on to direct two musicals, one, one a year for Warner Brothers, that actually, at least one of them is one of my favorites, but he directed The Pajama Game, which is a musical huh? set in a pajama factory, uh, very, very blue collar. And then uh, um, Damn Yankees, the, the famous you know, baseball baseball versus Satan musical, um, <laughs> which, you know, is about baseball players. Yeah, and, we, and both we, of them are very... You put that on the list of our baseball pictures, George. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the musicals did take a turn of a little more, a re- try to go for a little more realism and a more just kind of, you know, here you are kind of thing. And the, the... If you watch an old RKO with Fred and Ginger, you know, in these huge sets, you watch the Bugsby Berkeley kind of sequence, which they're emulating all this stuff. They're not just making fun of it. They are emulating it, and they're telling you this is what a musical should look like. Uh, for instance, the Sid Cherise scene when she has the – her skirt is just blown five stories high, and she shows you what a 37-inch inseam will do to a man, you know. 
I try to get my girlfriend to like stick her leg up so I can get my hat every day. Thank you for my hat. Look how big this is. This is not a garbage mat where it has all green screen around it and they add it. This is the sound stage over there at MGM, which are really big stages still. And they do this stuff in big, long principal takes. So they've somehow choreographed. Uh, the wind blowing her skirt, skirt a certain way because nowadays they would probably go in there and digitize a lot of that. Oh, it's kind of fun. I like the idea that what we're seeing is what really happened in all these cases, even if uh, it was a rolling it had Hollywood magic, backdrop. But it just wasn't. There's was, you know the special effects were pretty much real what you're looking at in this picture. Or was it called practicals yeah, rather practicals. than being a, an optical effect? Oh, I've never known that term, an optical, uh, practical effect. Practical effect, where it's actually, you know, well, when you see um, Gene Kelly at one point to escape his adoring fans, climbs on top of a big red uh, trolley car going down the street and moves to one end and he leaps off of it into uh, Kathy Seldon's car. Where that's how they meet. That's their cute meet in the film. Oh. And it is, I mean, it's Gene Kelly climbing up in this car, going to other end and jumping off into the other car. Uh, and there is an outtake somewhere of him actually missing the car and landing right on the street, too. See, I would like to see that outtake. Because obviously he's fine. I mean, it's <laughs> I, what I find absolutely astounding is they let this guy who practically helped build that, you know, a lot of their their history over there, let a guy do that stunt. <laughs> he might have hurt this himself. Guy, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's mm-hmm. a, a guy with a back injury like that could set, an, set you into insurance for three or four weeks. Because you'd have to shoot some dancer. And how many dancers are going to dance like Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire? They look nothing like each other. No, Fred Fred is, yeah, it's it's interesting. They're both, I mean, I love both of them equally as dancers and actors, but they are as different as night and day. Fred is very, very erudite and very elegant and, and, you know, high class. Whereas, you know, Gene Kelly kind of exudes that sort of Pittsburgh atmosphere. You know, that's where he's from. He's from Pittsburgh. He's from Steeltown. And he's sort of like this and kind of the pugnacious Irish guy who can dance. And you better like it or he's going to black your lights. You know, that kind of thing. So but you don't hear too many women saying, Fred is so gorgeous. <laughs> but you hear people, you hear women saying, look at him. <laughs> Yeah, he's what a is it? movie Gene, star. Yeah, Gene Kelly is this, you know, this dancer who exudes masculinity so that he is equally attractive to both men and women. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can watch him in that smile, that great smile oh, of his. He looks great in this yeah. picture. So good. And then you also have, whenever I've seen Donald O'Connor in other movies, I don't know of anything that he did that compares to this sequence that he does where he's dancing up a wall, he's dancing over the couch. That. That no, thing. that that's and that nothing that he ever did. He never looked better. He never, honestly, it was just that was something that he for, set for the rest of his life. He could never beat. From what I gathered, that actually came out of some of the stage work that he did early in his career, where he would do these sort of wild acrobatics on stage, and and they wanted to kind of capture that for this film. I mean, at this point, he had been kind of stuck. He had done uh, Francis the Talking Mule and several uh, sequels of that. And I think he was maybe getting a little tired of that. And so this was kind of a breath of fresh air for him to get out there. Now, the only drawback with him doing that incredibly athletic number is that at the time he was shooting this film, he was a four-pack-a-day smoker. Oh. So when he finished uh, when he finished doing the, the, the Be a Clown number, not Be a Clown, Make Him Laugh, make excuse him me. Laugh. Be a Clown is very, that's a whole other <laughs> bag of worms. But the oh, Make Him Laugh number, he, uh, I mean, he basically was a mess. I mean, he was off the set for a few days. He got horrible rug burns from the, the carpet circles that he does. And, uh, and of course, he was out of breath because of his uh, cigarette habit. 
But watching that scene is... But it's wow. just it's amazing. Is that man an athlete or what? Yeah. It's, uh, also, one of the things that are very, that's very interesting about the structure of this musical is how they jam story. I mean, they don't just stand around and pick flowers and throw their hands around. They cut right to the chase, and they, right. they, they say, oh, well, yeah, and then, and then they move forward. I, think it, it, I was just thinking this is a great moment when they talk about sound pictures coming in. Rather than just talk about it, it's like, you know, here comes sound pictures. They, they cut to, you know, the classic zoom up of the, of the variety page, and then they go into this long uh, montage of musical numbers, very brightly colored, and, you know, and they, they do about five or six different songs all at once, and then they settle on one, and that's kind of where you meet Kathy Selden again. But it's just, it just comes out of nowhere. And they just jam the story to the point where it's almost eating itself. Because he goes, this is what we should do. And he does this Broadway melody. Mm-hmm. And he goes through this mini movie. This, this right, a little beautiful movie within the movie. Within movie within the movie. And at the end, the, the head of the studio says, well, because uh, what do you think? He goes, I'll have to see it first. I'll have to see it on film. <laughs> Which is you like, again, they're jamming story to the point where they're topping themselves, you know? And, it, and it's just absolutely beautiful because it's just going up full steam. Boom, 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 boom. And to add to all the other stuff, I mean, one of the major reasons, besides being sort of a love letter to Hollywood and, and, you know, and a story about the coming of sound, it's also Arthur Freed, who was a producer of, of Singing in the Rain, and it sort of had the Freed unit at at MGM, which which made all the really high-dollar musicals. This was a way of him sort of patting himself on the back because pretty much all the songs in the film were written by him. And through his the years. Partner, through the years. He had a partner named Natio Herb Brown, and the two of them wrote Sing in the Rain and Fit as Fiddle and all these other songs. So they'd already the had a life of popularity. This oh, is yeah. Not, this many stuff, of the people this, knew yeah. standards, these man. songs. Freedom Freed Brown, standards. yeah, the songs were well known. I mean, So sing- audiences might have even gone to see these songs sure. that they knew. That might have even been a and draw. remember, this yeah. movie was topical. They were talking to audiences that were familiar with musicals for the last 20 years. So you got Jeanette McDonald and uh, Jeanette, who was that two teams? Nelson Eddy. Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald. They're taking off on them. And who knows how many other people they're taking off that we've completely forgotten about. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, is... a lot of it is uh, the, the voice thing is like John Gilbert. We're talking about Singing in the Rain on Filmically yeah. Perfect on 91.3 WY. So the 1952 musical Extraordinaire, directed by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly, starring just it's an amazing list, but uh, primarily Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, and uh, Gene Hagen, and a huge list here, and a real sort of snapshot of a of a time. Right. And they're even presenting a snapshot of a different time. Well, and, and, and an interesting uh, parallel is at the time this film was made in 52. Uh, television was taking over people's living rooms. And, you know, sound pictures were a reaction to radio taking over people's televisions. Ooh, now, one of the yeah. things... Yeah, excuse me, no, people I, taking I get people, you. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I I couldn't, yes. that I couldn't help but to notice, <laughs> and it's really tough to look into this, but when you watch Debbie Reynolds and she's doing All I Do Is Dream Of You, there's a chorus of girls in there, and they use these girls all the way through the picture. But this happens, and I've seen it happen. Debbie Reynolds is showing them how to do it. How to take it home. Now, when you watch those girls, watch them very closely because they can't keep up with her. She's showing them what real talent is. I'm sure all those girls are very talented. But if you look real close at that scene and you watch those girls and you watch their eyes, how they're watching uh, Debbie Reynolds, they're trying to keep up with somebody who is dazzling a lot of people. She's showing them how to do it. And that's one of those things, if you're into acting and you're trying to be an actress or something, 
although this movie's 60 years old, that's a star performing on the stage, and she's affecting everybody. Because you can watch those dancers. They have, they're having a hard time keeping up with Debbie Reynolds. It's nice little scene. It's beautiful to watch. The color and everything. Very so bright. Debbie Reynolds, of course, married uh, Eddie Fisher and is the mother of Carrie Fisher, who went Correct. on to her own. Uh, very interesting, to say the least. We always <laughs> like to think of Carrie Fisher with Jabba the Hutt all tied up. With oh, see her on. now. <laughs> but a very interesting sort of, uh, there's your your uh, your pedigree there, even continuing, but this movie about the movie pedigree. It's, it's a great watch. I don't think you're ever going to be disappointed, even if you don't like musicals. It's impossible. These gags are so flawlessly performed, and they're so balanced. And how they and Lena, this woman, Jean Hagen, didn't really have a career that even approaches approached this movie, but she hauls this movie. Mm-hmm. This woman who who doesn't get a lot of credit compared to all the other actors, she hauls this movie. Well, and an amazing little factoid that I learned just recently: near the in the last third of the movie, there is a short scene where. Uh, Kathy Selden is looping uh, Lena's voice. And let's just really quickly remind you that, remind our listeners, because it was a new yes, concept to me, right. that looping is where you you um, shoot the visuals, and then uh, because of whatever reason, maybe right. you'd never intended to, or there was some trouble with the audio, they actually loop it's that little sound. They re-record the sound, and they, they watch the image on a screen, and they match the lip movements, and will reread the line. And it's just amazing that I find out from the film guys how many movies Oh, they that's do it all the time. They're, they must Constantly. be brilliantly talented, do it on because you almost never... Jean Hagen is the woman with the crazy voice. That's right. She's, she's the, the one that and she's, and uh-huh. she is the one that pulls this movie but, down the road. Yeah. But in this scene where where Debbie Reynolds loops Jean uh, Hagen's voice, the sort of you, you hear Lena's awful voice, and then you hear Debbie Reynolds loop the voice. But the voice she is using is not her own. It is actually Jean Hagen's real voice. Oh. Gene Hagen has a very Ooh, rich, melodious voice, and which makes it makes her character even more amazing. Would you know that from anything that's written or said in the movie? Or you wouldn't. No, it's just a little factoid. It's a little factoid that uh, just kind of came out of out of research. Back before all this technical stuff came upon us, you know, we had this vision. It was called the internet, and now we know everything about movies. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, as far it as may as not the, be correct, but we know. <laughs> but it. we know it. Right, it's here, man. As, the vision is here. <laughs> I think the rules are beautifully, uh, beautifully upheld here. Creates the world. Oh, yeah. You're sucked right in. Sustains it, Color. and uh, and we're still talking about it. I'm still singing that song. That's and, for sure. Well, if you ever get a chance to see this thing projected on oh, film, go, 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 go. Because we need to start a film series. Mm-hmm. Don't you we? You got to see it how it was if meant you can find to be a print, seen. Sure. Yeah. The bigger the screen, the better. We do have a connection at the Library of Congress. Uh, Our man at the Library of Congress. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Let's think about that just for a little fun. But uh, yeah, definitely worth seeing on a big screen. Worth seeing no matter where you see it. Uh, we've been talking about Singing in the Rain, the 1952 musical uh, that just really did it up on all accounts. We'd love to hear from you. We want to hear, uh, get your cards and letters. You can email the film guys, film guys at perfectmovie.net. Plus, George has been up to a little fun on the FaceTubes. We're on the Facebook. Come and <laughs> talk to us. We will talk back. We will talk back. You can go to uh, the source, and that is uh, perfectmovie.net. Check it out at the website, archived audio, and little bits uh, that George has put together and Jay Todd has contributed at perfectmovie.net. You can get us at in, uh, npr.org at WIS org at iTunes, or you can just uh, come on by. Stop on by and say hello. <laughs> Always food. a pleasure. I'm Nikki Dakota saying goodbye to our beloved J. Todd Boy. Goodbye. George, thanks for being here. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.